Thanks, Bruce. I'm Andy, alcoholic. Hi, can we start with the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Um, before I forget, it, you know, I'd like to thank everybody. I'd like to thank uh, Bruce for asking me. Uh, this meeting is where I got started. Um, and, uh, I love Alcoholics Anonymous, and I owe it all to you guys, to a 12-step program, Alcoholics Anonymous, and God. And uh, for that, I am truly grateful. Um, my name's Andy. I grew up on the east side of Cleveland. I'm the oldest of three boys. Um, I started drinking in the woods when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. I don't know exactly when. Uh, you know, my early years were like this. My parents were divorced. I was a fat kid. I just felt like I didn't fit in. I felt like I wasn't good enough, no matter what it was. And alcohol became the great equalizer. It was that simple. All those years, that's what I did. There was no baseball, because I didn't feel good. I, I was not that good athletically. There was no proms. There was no extracurricular activities. There was hanging around in the woods with my friends doing what we wanted to do. There was petty crimes. There was being nothing but a pain teachers, to my parents, to anybody around me. That's it. And, and, and that continued for a long time. And this drinking, you know, I'll just say this, I've used a lot of things under the gateway of alcohol. So, you, you, you know, I had a freelance pharmaceutical career as well, and I saw the power that that brought. Okay, people came to my basement to come see me. I was somebody. I saw the power that that brought. I, I saw what it took. I, I got a job. I got a job at a grocery store. My friends knew. I was 15 years old. My friends knew at exactly 9.10 to come down the alley, and the Little Kings came flying out the back door. And at 9.30, they picked me up out front, and that's what we did. And we did that Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, before school, at lunchtime, whatever. And this is all through, um, you know, from that time on, from 13 years old on, through grade school, through junior high, and, and certainly up through and including high school. Uh, nothing really changed. Nothing really changed. It continued to grow like that, and, it, and, and you know, a lot of that stuff is nothing but a um, a distant memory. I, I I don't know exactly what I did. All I know is that uh, you know, if I go back and look at report cards, it's a lot of uh, didn't apply himself, underachiever, things like that. I got through school the best I could. I, 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 certainly, I, I don't blame anyone. I, I think my parents probably did the best that they could at the time. Um, I know today I'm just a garden variety alcoholic. Uh, I, maybe I had some genetic predisposition to alcoholism. I don't know, but whatever it is, I grew it. I grew it to what it is today, and here's where I am. And uh, like I said, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be an alcoholic. I'm happy to be an Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not happy I hurt people on the way up, but I found something that works for me and is currently the centerpiece of my life. From the minute I got up this morning, and I'm not a sap. If it didn't work, I wouldn't be here. It's worked for me. So, right up and through high school, I, I, I pulled some angle. My dad, well, the angle, get it? Um, my dad pulled a shot and got me into college. I had no right being in college. I had gotten thrown out of one high school. My, my 12th grade education was a half day of school. And uh, that would be the first of many, uh, uh, of shooting many angles, of being a three-inning ball player, of, of, of using um, 
other people for my game, no matter what. Uh, and I got into college, and I, I didn't belong there. Um, my my high school certainly didn't didn't show that I belonged in college, but I went to Kent State. If you consider that college, I know a lot of people would debate that point. But what happened there was I lost a bunch of weight, and I started bartending. And this is where I started to put together uh, the nightlife and the money and, and all that was success. That was my version of success. That's what I that's what I thought of as successful. Being out, being in the clubs, being out all night, sleeping all day, that was it. And I'd be going back to school uh, from working in the flats. I'd be driving back to school in a car with like $150 cash, which the car and the cash were more than a lot of college students had. And I saw the power that that brought. And this is where I go from always feeling never good enough and less than you to starting to feel superior. This is where the false pride, the ego, the, the, the sense of entitlement all started to grow. Right there. And that's the only significant part of my entire college career. The rest of it was answers written between my fingers, answers written on, on the bottom of my shoe. I squeezed all four years in the six. Somehow I got out. That's it. There's, there's, again, one big brownout. I, I still don't know people. I can't remember people when I see them walking up the street and I spent years in college with them. And, and, and you know, there, I'm bartending down here. It's one big party. There, 25 cent beer night, two for one night. I mean, it's all written off as part of school, right? I mean, it was no big deal. Um, so I get out of school and shoot another angle through my dad. I, I get my first uh, quote-unquote real job, and that job, uh, when I say real job, I mean not in a bar, not bartending, and it was a, what I call a, a suit and tie job, and uh, immediately they moved me to New Jersey. And, you know, that was kind of so that if I failed, it wasn't right in everybody's face, you know. This guy that got, got me the job was a friend of my dad's or whatever. And anyhow, I went to New Jersey, and um, I did well. I did well enough to feed my disease. I did well enough in New Jersey and New York for uh, for six years to feed my disease. I performed at a level that kept people out of my hair and allowed me to spend on the expense account as much as I wanted, sell as much as I needed to, to get away with whatever I had to, to give me enough recognition so that I got up in front of people and I got awards. And, you know, when I flew into Cleveland on the company expense account, you know, there was a desk waiting for me and, and, and there was, things happened. And, um, you know, it's during this time where, again, it's entertaining customers, so it's okay, right? Well, the difference is, customers are going back to the hotel. I'm staying out all night. I, the next morning, I'm stuffing muffins in my face to try to, you know, hide the vodka smell. Like, you know, today I know that doesn't work. But, I mean, you know, it was, it was constantly like that. And, you know... During that time, I, I, got, I got arrested a couple of times, and it was my first introduction to Alcoholics Anonymous in like 1992. I don't remember anything about it. There was a lot of smoking, there was a lot of coffee, and I had to get a slip signed. All that did was put me in touch with people that were more like me in New Jersey, where I had no family and no friends. And um, there was no learning curve there, and all I did was spend a lot of time pointing fingers. Going to court was nothing more than a headache. It was pay this, it was get this one adjudicated before this one hit so you could keep your license. It was nothing but a game. So 
I did the next thing and I asked for another move and they moved me to Columbus, Ohio. I thought Columbus would be different. It was no different for a year. I spent in Columbus. I got in plenty of trouble. Um, I thought Columbus couldn't be that much trouble compared to New York City and, and it was. So I did the next right thing and I got married. I moved back to Cleveland. I got married. And this is where, you know, somewhere along this line where things go from being fun to fun with problems to just a problem. Uh, I'm back in Cleveland now and I'm married. I'm living in, um, I'm living out in South Russell and, and I think everything's alright and on the outside everything looks great. And, uh, at work, they call me the vice president of lunch. I had, you know, th again, this is, the bigger I wanted you to believe I was, the worse I felt about myself. But at this time, you wanted front row, front of the line, VIP, grand opening, uh, seats where nobody had them, you called me. I fixed all that for everybody in Cleveland and in New York. I'd grown up with these guys in the bars. I knew everything that went on in Cleveland, and I did it. And I did it for customers. I did it for other people I worked with. And it had nothing to do with my real job, but I loved it. I reveled in it. I, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And again, all this pomp and circumstance, all this feelings of entitlement, um, you know, a pig in a suit is just a pig in a suit. That's it. And that's all I was. I was a vacant lot. I was a garbage can for a human being. I got married under completely false pretenses. She didn't deserve it. It was 110% my fault. It fell apart two and a half years later. Two and a half years later, I'm still up to my same old tricks. Um, I'd start at a swanky happy hour. And I'd end up down here on West 25th, staring at myself in a mirror, hiding in a basement. It's that simple. Every day I look at myself in the mirror. Every day I think things are going to be different. Every day nothing changes. Um, around this time I get, uh, you know, I, I get divorced. And when they say you pull the plug out and the water starts spinning faster towards the bottom, in a real quick succession, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a sales guy, I collect things, I don't give stuff away, and she wasn't coming back. That was it. That was that was a real kick to me. It, it was over, and um, I certainly wasn't going to admit, at that time I wasn't going to admit it was my fault. But I started losing jobs, and I lost those jobs because I was unemployable. I didn't deserve them to begin with. And um, I moved down here because... It, if I lived downtown, it would be closer to the office, right? I wouldn't have to drive so much. This is the kind of logic I'm using. Anyhow, I, I lose, in a, in a quick succession, I lose a couple very big jobs. And uh, at the beginning of 02, the last job paid me to go away. They said, here, you know, I'd only been working for them. They, their kickoff was in January of 02. They said, you've got to start by January because our kickoff is in Vegas, Right? Kickoff is the second week in January in Vegas. So I get all signed up. I get on board. I get to Vegas. Well, little did I know the name tags had a barcode on them, and they could tell how much time you spent on the convention floor. Well, I'm drinking till 6, sleeping till 3, going to the pool for an hour, and doing it all over again. I never went to the convention floor. So I didn't get started off on a real solid footing in that job. <laughs> and six weeks later, they pay me to go away. Now... I'm left, I'm down, to, I'm here. by the way, all this chase and all this stuff, you know, I'm in a rented house with a leased car, no job, looking at no prospects. I'm living on Bridge Avenue right over here. 
I'm going to the ABC and I'm going to Major Hoople's and I'm sitting on the bar stool and I'm still imagining myself as this combination between uh, Tony Montana, Axl Rose, and Bill Gates. And, and I think somebody, somehow this lightning bolt's going to hit me and this, you know, I'm going to be propelled into that fourth dimension and everything's going to be all right. And it didn't happen. And nothing in particular happened during that period of time except I went into the, you know, the depths of hell. That period of time from May to November, my sobriety date's November of that year, there was not one big thing that happened. There was no new arrest. You know, I had overdosed five years earlier. There was no overdose. There was no new arrest. There was no new smash car. There was no nothing. It was just, I couldn't, it couldn't do it anymore. I just couldn't do it anymore. And, and, and I was looking for a little break. And every day, again, I'm looking at myself in a mirror less and less, and I'm pushing the the job, you know, this goes in the side, and the and the everything's tomorrow. I'll look for a job tomorrow. I'll pay the bills tomorrow. I'll do this tomorrow, and um, I needed a break. I I I had this healthy fear that my family's gonna find my great dead bloated body in the basement of my place over on Bridge Avenue, you know, three days later, and that would be my um, that would be my obituary. Uh, I had no real knowledge of a 12-step program. I had no real knowledge of what to do. So I looked for some help. I had a Cobra plant still from work, and I went to uh, I went to detox. And um, I, I, at, at the time, I didn't know about Stone Maris. It was right here. I didn't know about the Keating Center. I didn't know about Rotary Hall. I ended up out at um, Windsor in Chagrin, which was like, you know, a lot of dual diagnosis, and like I had this roommate who's like catching flies in the middle of the night that weren't there, and, it, and I'm like, what did I get myself into? And this was the longest respite I had from 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 using in my adult life, and um, I started to feel better. And they told me in order to get out, I had to have a plan. I said, what's the plan? They gave me a meeting schedule book, and they get and they made me an appointment at Rosary Hall. Everything I told you up to this point has been my part of my story, my part of the story. Everything from this point forward I learned from you guys. Everything I say, I'm doing nothing more than mimicking or parroting anything I've heard from people up here, anything I learned from my sponsor, anything I learned from you. 11, 12 of all two is the most important day in my life. Bar none. Nothing comes before it, because if I don't have it, nothing comes at all. I'm 100% convinced of that. 11, 12 of all two. That's all that matters. I walked out of there with a plan, with my back to that hospital door, never expecting to listen to anyone, or be standing here, or anything. I never expected to be sober. I had no idea what, what I was going to do. But for some reason, for the first time in my life ever, I did what I said I was going to do. I went to this appointment, and I went to this meeting, and I went to another meeting. And at about my third meeting, I saw a guy I went to high school with at this meeting, and he's telling me, he goes... Yeah, he goes, I'm staying in this house. He goes, I just got out of jail in the PA. He goes, I'm staying in this house. This guy takes people in without insurance and uh, right out of prison. And I said, you're still drunk. Nobody does that in this day and age. There's no way. And he was staying at the Keating Center. I gave him a ride home. Again, I had no idea what I was getting into. From that point, I started picking him up. I knew I started running other people I knew from back from my bar days that were sober. I picked him up. I picked a group of guys up at the Keating Center. And I kept going. And I went to, and I went to, uh, IOP at Rosary Hall and I kept going. 
And somewhere in my first 30 days, I don't can't tell you where I wasn't hit by a lightning bolt, but somewhere in those first 30 days, I decided maybe I didn't have to drink again. Where I had previously planned on just letting things calm down for a couple of weeks and getting back together with my, as John called them, associates, not my friends, my associates. So, I don't know why. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why other people aren't here. All I know is, for the first time, I listened. For the first time, maybe I just went... For the first time, my level of desperation was above my ego. For the first time ever. And I just did what I what I was told. And I just tried not to worry about it. I tried to slow the channels in my head changing. I tried to slow them down. And people put up with me. I'm sure I was a major pain in the ass. And that could still be today. But people listened to me. People just said, yeah, yeah you'll get it. Don't worry. Keep coming back. You know... And that's what I did. And, um, again, no lightning bolt hit me, but at about nine months, I found out that a lot of these guys that I'd been running with, I mean, some of them lied to me. How could people lie to me? Don't they know who I am? You know, and all of a sudden, one day they weren't there. Well, what happened? Well, he tested dirty, went back to prison. Well, what do you mean? I was with him last night. He told me everything was great. You know, and another guy would come to a meeting, and he'd meet a girl, and... <coughs> We're going to get sober together. Okay. And you know how that ended. Or, we're just friends. We're just friends until she doesn't answer his phone call. And you know how that ends. So I saw people get better, and I saw people get worse. I saw people get better, I saw people get worse, and I guess I just took notice. And slowly, my life got better. One door opens, another one closes. We don't know how long the hallway is. I don't know why. Things got better for me in a timely enough fashion to keep me here. At around nine months, all these guys are gone. I got <coughs> I kept find myself going to meetings later, leaving earlier, saying, I know this guy's going to get up and comment next, and this guy's going to get up and comment next, and it's 400 degrees in here, and I'm sweating, and this is crap. And um, I didn't drink. I don't know why I didn't drink. I don't know how I didn't drink. But what I did do was retrench my efforts. I got a new sponsor, and I worked the steps. He didn't push my nose in the book. I worked the steps. The only thing I can tell you about the steps is they turbocharged my sobriety. And here I am five years later. I haven't looked back since. Okay. Um, this is no problem. Leading's easy. You want something hard? Try spending time alone with the guy you hate the most. Me. Trying to write another fourth step. Try spending time alone with the guy, me, trying to figure out the eighth step and how you're going to approach somebody to do the ninth step. That makes this look like nothing to me. I'm happy to be here. I'm an alcoholic. My life is better and I don't want to drink today. So this is what I got to do? No problem. Where do I sign up? So, during this time, I've had problems. I've had all kinds of problems. But I keep being reminded that none of them are going to get better if I drink. And the way I keep being reminded of that is the we of the program. I see you guys. I do everything I can. I try to stay in the middle of it. Where I once felt comfortable going into a bar, I now feel uncomfortable, and I'm comfortable going into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the 180 my life has taken. Me, I haven't taken a 180. I could still be the same guy. I still got the anger issues. I still got jump to conclusions, you name it. Whatever it is. I still got all those problems. 
slowly but surely again, all this stuff. But focusing on by focusing on sobriety, I got a job back, I got a car back, I got a house back. Everything is falling into place, and I know the minute I take any credit for it, it's all gone again. I prefer not to look at it. I got blinders on. When I get up in the morning, it's not, am I going to go to a meeting? It's what meeting am I going to? And if I'm not, why not? When it comes to service, sign me up. What can I do? Because this arithmetic has worked well for me. It's worked well for me. I love AA, in case I didn't mention that. This thing's worked out perfectly for me. Um, so, during all this time in sobriety, you know, there's been bad times. There's been hard times. There's been financial problems. There's been all kinds of problems. But again, I don't know, just kind of shrug them off and keep going. You know, it, it, this, it, it, again, I made sobriety my priority. There is no job, girl, car, money, anything that can come between me and staying sober today. It's just worked out for me that way. Um, when I say service work, you know, sign me up. There's, there's times where I don't want to answer the phone. There's times where I don't want to go to a meeting. But I go anyhow. I have another healthy fear. I have another healthy fear that if I don't replace old behavior with new behavior... I'm in trouble. And old behavior would be sitting like this, changing channels on the sofa. Right? The only thing that's missing is the dope man pulling in the driveway. That's it. So guess what? If I'm sitting here doing this and I know there's a meeting going on and I have every opportunity to go to it, I better go to it. I have to go to it. I got to be here and I got to constantly be bombarded with why I have to be here. And there's only one way to do that, to be here, to be in the middle of it. Remember what I said about all this stuff I'm saying I learned from you guys and I'm mimicking you guys. Remember, the problems started here, the solutions aren't up here. I need you. The God thing. Everybody can tell me about a God thing. Well, listen, I got a God in my life today. I'm not embarrassed to tell you about it. Alright? What started out as you know, fake it till you make it, bring the body, the mind will follow. It's turned out to be the greatest gift I got. It's turned out to be the best thing ever. And it's turned out to be uh, such that it's almost constant conscious contact with a higher power. I pray all day. I look for advice all day. I still got a hard time meditating. The channels are still changing a little too fast. But, you know, the more important I make you and God, the better my life has become. The more important I make you and God and AA, the better my life has become. I look around this room, why would I want to change anything? I got friends in here, this is where I belong. Why would I want to go out and drink? You know, the idea that, the idea that, you know, all these crazy things we did. You want to know what's crazy? What's crazy is if you're sitting in here and you're sober and you're entertaining some idea using that's insanity. Not what you did. It doesn't matter how old you are, how many times you've been back and forth, what you've done. There's a program built here for you to get better. We all speak a universal language. There's meetings going on all around the world right now with no president. You want in, you walk in the door. It's that simple. It doesn't matter if you've been back and forth 30 times or it's your first time. 
And if you sit, if you're sitting there and you're and you're on the fence about it, or you think I'm full of crap, or the person next to you is, keep trying. But if you're a little bit nervous and you're a little bit scared, guess what? I know that feeling. I've been there. And the hardest thing to do, John. Another thing, where is he? John. Another thing, John says a guy asking a guy to be a sponsor is like a guy asking him to be his Valentine. <laughs> and it's the hardest thing you'll do. I go to I do a detox group and tell those guys, listen, when I when you get out of here, I want you to go. It, this is real simple. You're gonna leave here. You're not gonna go anywhere near anything you did prior to here. You're gonna go find a meeting. You're gonna go in and say, hi, I'm a new guy. Where's the good meetings around here? And will you sponsor me? It's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. But the payoff is better than anything I could have ever, ever imagined. Ever imagined. And you know what? Today might be a little bit better than yesterday. That's how good it's been for me. This is no six-year pink cloud either. Like I said, I got problems. But they're all right. They're all right. And most of them roll, roll right off my back. Most of them are of my own making. So, I heard another guy up here say one time, if the opposite of, if we're selfish and self-centered, the opposite of that would be unselfishness and love. And that's what I gotta try to fill my head with. If I'm not coming, I'm going. If I'm not constructing, I'm destructing. If I'm not getting farther away from a drink, I'm getting closer to a drink. AA, attitude and activity. That comes from that guy. Get to work. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Start to paste a smile on your face today because you're alive. There's people in this room. Look, everybody in this room has done a lethal dose. And what I mean by that is someone else has died from the same amount of whatever you did. It just wasn't your number. Okay, so quit playing with fire. I got sponsees. I got one sponsee broke in my house, another one died. I got two sponsees left. The guy that died just died last week. The one that broke in my house is sober now. You know, what am I going to do? Not sponsor guys because somebody broke in my house or somebody died on me? No, I'll probably try to retrench and double my efforts. I don't know. Like I said, the payback's been huge for me. I go to no less than four meetings a week, probably closer to seven. I do that group at Rosary Hall. I had different groups at the Keating Center off and on and the, and the prison out in the rain off and on. And I just try to stay in it. I go to 12-step weekends wherever I can. And um, how'd I do? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I ran over. I'm 100% convinced I belong here. And I'm 100% convinced anybody can get better and that the program's built for success. I know I'm in the right place. I hope you are too. Let's see the other